This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 21, Al McInnes. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with Hall of Fame and Olympic gold medalist Al McInnes. Well, I think the one thing about any sport is you can never stop learning. Uh, you can never stop uh, working on your game. You can always get better. And uh, I think that's the key to longevity. I don't think anybody, you know, can sit back and say, well, I figured out this game and there's nothing uh, more to work at. Uh, I think, you know, you have to take that approach. Al shares how he became one of the top defensemen in the NHL through practice, working on weaknesses, not just strengths, and always trying to learn and get better. Al, um, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Al McInnes grew up in Nova Scotia where he spent winters playing hockey with his six brothers. In 1979, Al left home at the age of 16 to start his junior hockey career, during which he set records for goals scored by a defenseman and was recognized as an all-star and top defenseman. The Calgary Flames selected him in the first round of the 1981 NHL entry draft. He went on to play 23 seasons in the NHL, being named an all-star 13 times. He was named the Con Smith Trophy winner as the most valuable player of the playoffs in 1989 after leading the Flames to the Stanley Cup Championship, and he was voted the winner of the James Norris Memorial Trophy in 1999 as the top defenseman in the league while a member of the Blues. In the 2002 Olympics, he won a gold medal for Team Canada. He's third all-time among defensemen in goals, assists, and points in the NHL and he was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2007. Al is currently Vice President of Hockey Operations for the St. Louis Blues. He lives in St. Louis with his wife, Jackie, and they have four children, many of whom Al has coached. Al, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Al, let me start out by um, just asking you what it was like at the age of 16 to leave home to go play hockey. Well, it was, uh, it was a tough move, and, uh, you know, back Back in 1979, I know things have uh, uh, changed uh, drastically since then, uh, but I moved from um, uh, my hometown, which was a small fishing village in Cape Breton Island, to uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, about 2,000 miles away to uh, pursue a dream. And uh, I went out there and I played Tier 2 hockey for the Regina Pat Blues. And, you know, back then, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of communication with uh, my parents and, and my siblings uh, only because of the expense. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, what, what, what made the uh, transition uh, a little easier is I had two great roommates, one being uh, Barry Trotz, who was uh, now the coach in the, the Nashville president, president Predators. Uh, but, uh, there was, uh, you know, it was a tough move and, uh, the only time I was allowed to, uh, actually call my parents and my family was on uh, Sunday night after six o'clock. So that was all we could afford to, uh, to pay. And, uh, but it was something that I really wanted to pursue. And, uh, as it turned out, it worked out pretty well. That's great. You know, uh, despite all your honors and championships, you are perhaps best known for the power of your slap shot. 
uh, which once split a goaltender's helmet. Can you tell our audience what went into you having such power and strength behind this shot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, uh, if only I had a nickel for every time this uh, uh, question was asked to me, and I I still uh, have the same answer, and uh, many kids uh, come up to me in rinks and ask me that, and um, you know, and, and I, and I tell them the same story and, you know, they look at me with these big wide eyes thinking I'm going to have a, a secret answer or a secret stick to tell them about, but really it's about practice, practice and more practice. And that's, uh, and that's how it came about. And, uh, you know, I tell these, uh, young hockey players, um, uh, uh, a small story about, uh, uh, where I grew up, I grew up in a in a small fishing village uh, in in the north shore of Cape Breton Island, and uh, I was very fortunate to you know my father was one of the two uh, rink managers, and between the ages of probably uh, ten and fifteen, uh, I used to go down and uh, help him close up the rink uh, at nighttime, and before leaving, I used to walk around the outside of the ice surface and and uh, pick up. Uh, all the pucks at the end of the night. So at the end of the hockey season, I would probably have, you know, 100, 150 pucks. And uh, being in a small town, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do during the summer. And uh, we did have, uh, you know, uh, great beaches, but I was never much of a beach guy. So uh, I used to have to find uh, things to do during the summer to, uh, uh, to pass the time. And I started shooting pucks, and uh, I'd get a sheet of plywood, uh, put it probably, you know, 60, 70 feet from my dad's uh, barn, and uh, I used to, just used to shoot pucks uh, all day long. And uh, I would have loved to keep track of how many pucks I usually, sh- you know, uh, would shoot in a day, but, you know, it's it would be hundreds and hundreds of shots. And, and not thinking that that would end up being my ticket to play in the National Hockey League. I was just doing it just to, to pass the time and uh, for something to do. And as it turned out, uh, uh, it was a great thing for me to do. And and, and eventually uh, it became a ticket uh, to get a chance to play in the National Hockey League. But it, it really is. There is no magic stick or magic formula. It's it's practice, practice, and more practice. That's a great lesson for kids. You know, I, I talked with Chris Mullen, the uh, NBA uh, Hall of Famer, and he uh, he once said that it bugged him when people said he was, uh, you know, asked him how he became a natural shooter, and he said he was a natural shooter by spending eight hours a day in a gym for 20 years. It's just that effort is a really good uh, lesson for kids, I think. Absolutely. So um, I've heard that during your first season with the Flames in 81, your skating skills weren't up to the level of your shot. Um, what did you and the Flames do to grow your skating skills to such a level that you became one of the best, best defensemen in the league year after year? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, my skating wasn't up to par. Uh, it needed a lot of work. And as kids, sometimes we get uh, a little bit of tunnel vision. We always want to work on our on our strengths rather than our weaknesses. And, and my skating was, was certainly a weakness. And I was very fortunate at the time um, and I was still young in my career when the Calgary Flames made a, uh, a coaching change and brought in uh, 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 Bob Johnson from uh, the Wisconsin Badgers, and and uh, he changed a lot of things uh, with our team and, and the Calgary Flames and changed the culture. And conditioning was part of a big, big part of it. And uh, Badger Bob used to take me after practice and spend oh 45 minutes to an extra hour 
uh, after practice, just working on skating, working on edge work, uh, doing different drills for quickness, and uh, uh, that was just uh, one part of it. Uh, also, uh, I did, on uh, recommendation of uh, Badger Bob, I took power skating lessons in the off-season. I think that really helped improve my skating. Um, and I used to spend time at the rink uh, uh, with an instructor giving me uh, really good power skating lessons. And third, maybe the, the most important thing was off-ice conditioning and uh, the importance on how to train and realizing that it was really sport-specific and uh, doing the proper weight training uh, for hockey and to work on my skating, to work on my lower body extremity, uh, the energy system uh, that, that, that was uh, implemented by my strength and conditioning coach at the time uh, was Charles Poliquin, where I did a lot of sprint work, uh, a lot of short distance running. Because when you think about hockey, you know, you think about the length of a shift, uh, 30 or 40 seconds. Uh, therefore, you know, I worked on a lot of short sprints. Uh, and as the summer moved, a, a lot of uh, maybe a little bit longer sprints. But those three things really helped my skating and and, uh, and uh, you know, as the game uh, evolved today, uh, you really have to be a good skater in order to compete at a high level today. You know, it strikes me, you know, you're going away at 16, you're putting all this work in, and even, you know, Bob Johnson, the extra time he spent, that really speaks to a love of, of playing hockey. Um, and you, you played in the league for 23 years, which is pretty incredible. How, how did you keep your motivation and competitive spark alive over all those years? Well, there are a number of things, but, uh, you know, uh, the old saying is, uh, you know, if, if you uh, if you love, you know, uh, if you're doing something you love, you're not going to work a day in your life, and I felt uh, hockey was that. I had a, a great passion for the game uh, since the first time I put on a pair of skates. Um, I believe my parents installed a, a great work ethic uh, as a young kid, and I look back at uh, how hard uh, our parents worked in that generation, and my mom was a she was a school teacher. Uh, uh, my town was 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 big enough where we only had one school from kindergarten to grade twelve, and she was the great uh, uh, she was the sixth grade teacher. And I remember getting up in the mornings, and and my mom she used to go out and milk three uh, uh, cows by hand before uh, you know getting uh, eight kids up for bed and uh, heading to school for the day and remembering my dad having numerous jobs and, and coming back from, you know, the oil, um, the coal mines and all you could see was uh, the white in his eyes. And I think when you look back and you see how hard your parents worked, I don't think there was any uh, problem motivating, uh, you know, to, to play hockey and to do something you really love to do. And, you know, and, and that's where it starts. I think your parents uh, play a huge part in that. And, uh, you know, as far as being able to stay in the league, for as long as I did, you know, and being as competitive, uh, you know, I, I always wanted to get better. I always felt that uh, regardless of how my season went, uh, I would almost kind of anal analyze it like a golf game. You know, no matter how well the game went, you always felt you left shots out on the course. And I, and I took that same approach with my seasons in hockey, that regardless of how well I played or how well my season went, uh, I still thought there was things I could work on. I could uh, still get better at certain things, and and therefore, uh, you know, uh, my work ethic off the ice uh, helped me to continue to improve as a player. And 
I felt as I got older, uh, I actually became a better player, and I was lucky enough to win a Norris Trophy at age 38. And uh, and uh, it wasn't hard for me to uh, continue to uh, motivate myself. Having you know, we talk with kids about um, having a teachable spirit, and no matter what goes on in a game or practice, there's there's something that can be learned from it. And it really seems like you you had that teachable spirit. Well. I think the one thing about any sport is you can never stop learning. Uh, you can never stop uh, working on your game. You can always get better. And uh, I think that's the key to longevity. I don't think anybody, you know, can sit back and say, well, I figured out this game and there's nothing uh, more to work at. Uh, I think, you know, you have to take that approach. There's always work to be done. You can always improve. And, and I think everybody, you know, hockey players, you know, you want to set goals for yourself, you know, uh, when you do make a team, whether it's a junior team, college team, NHL team, I think every player's goal is is uh, to be able to play in every situation of the game, whether you're up a goal uh, in the last minute, you're down a goal in the last minute. I think, you know, when you have 20 players sitting on the bench and you only can put five out there, uh, everybody wants to be that player. And I think... Uh, uh, you, you know, each guy should strive to be uh, uh, the best all-around player he can be, but but also be the most consistent player he can be. You know, um, over your career, you've uh, you've had a bunch of injuries, and you you worked your way back. Um, I think one of the hardest things for like a high school athlete is, you know, when you when you feel your high school playing days counting down, but then you're injured, and so you have to sit. Uh, what tips can you give coaches to support players coming back from injuries and helping players feel like they're still part of the team even if they can't play right now? Well, I think if the uh, if the injury is, uh, you know, uh, severe enough where he's not able to participate even in practice, I think it's important for coaches to uh, get the injured players involved in uh, stat taking and, and, and really – uh, help them be part of the coaching staff. And, and during games, you can get the injured players to take uh, face-off stats on each of your centermen, maybe not only for your team, but for the other team as well. And, you know, if it comes down to a close game and you need an important face-off, uh, you know who your hot guy is that night and uh, uh, you're ready to, to put that the correct player on the ice. Also, um, you know, they can take stats of, of, of shots of both teams. Where are the shots coming from? Are we able to get shots on the inside? Are all our shots coming from the outside uh, for both teams, you know, uh, from an offensive standpoint or a defensive standpoint? Are we giving up too many shots uh, on the inside? And, and these are just two examples that uh, uh, coaches can help injured players. You can help out with even even systems. What what are the other teams doing in the neutral zone? How are they forechecking? And it really keeps them involved in the game, uh, not only from a helping standpoint, from but but also a learning standpoint. Um, if you have some injured players that are maybe getting close to maybe playing again, uh, when they they're able to at least practice, uh, maybe not. Uh, uh, be involved in any contact drills uh, is is appoint an assistant coach uh, with the injured player or injured players and uh, make sure they get a good workout during the practice. Maybe between drills, they're doing short, quick skating drills, working on their quickness if they can, uh, depending on the injury or stick handling. So there's ways of uh, really making these guys feel part of the team 
on and off the ice as their injury progresses and as they get closer uh, to hopefully playing again. But it, it's a tough thing for an injured player, and I've been in that uh, situation a number of times, and you really do, if you're not involved, you really do feel like you're on the outside looking in. And by these you know, little things to help out the coaching staff, uh, and what have you to be involved in, in stat taking, it, it makes it interesting for the kids and, and uh, it makes them feel uh, part of the team. Yeah, no, and that's, that's part of great coaching, I think. Thanks. That's a great idea. Thank you. Um, you know, there's a debate about whether, <clears throat> whether professional athletes should be role models or not for youth athletes, but what's your perspective on fighting allowed in the NHL? Do you have uh, tips for parents on how to talk to their kids when they see a fight taking place? Well, I do, and you know, it, it's a debate that's uh, you know is it still goes on at every level of our sport, and uh, because it's been a part of our game for since existence, and you know, the last hundred years, there's no easy answer, no easy solution, and part of me still feels that you know fighting is a part of the game. Uh, I have, you know, very little tolerance for any staged fighting. I don't think this game needs any part of staged fighting. There are times where, you know, it's a very physical game, it's an emotional game, and you have two guys battling for the puck and one guy gets knocked over or, you know, uh, gets knocked down and, and there's a, you know, a spontaneous battle in a fight. I, sometimes I can live with that, you know. It's the stage fighting that I don't have a lot of tolerance for. Um, and, and I really think when you're talking to the kids, you know, as a parent, you can say, you know, you can explain to them that fighting has been part of the game for a long, long time, but also it's a very small part of their game. There, you know, there's not many fights in our game anymore. Uh, you know, they're being reduced each and every year. Uh, the National Hockey League has done a tremendous job of cracking down on the fighting. Uh, and, you know, you talk about, you know, we haven't had, I don't know, a bench clearing ball for probably 20 years. So that part of it has really been taken out of the game. And, and, and the fighting is being reduced each and every year. And like I said, the league has done a great job of, of doing that and cracking down on fighting. And at the end of the day, when you explain to the kids, it's really a small percentage of the players that probably do, what, 98% of the fighting. So, you know, tell your kids to be, you know, a good player and a competitive player and a, and a player that's that that battles and is tough in, in other ways. Like, uh, I, I like to judge a player on his toughness of going into a corner and coming out with a loose puck. You know, if you're a winger along the boards and you take a clean hit to get a play or make a play or get the puck outside the blue line, that's being tough, you know, not necessarily being, you know, involved in a fight. And I think when you explain, it's down to the kids that, you know, uh, toughness is, is not fighting. Toughness is playing other competitive parts of the game. I think they'll have a better understanding. You know, I think you're the first person I've ever met um, who won a gold medal for Canada in ice hockey. So, um, pretty incredible accomplishment, um, you know, helping your team win that medal. What, what's it, what was it like, what was that experience like, and what did it feel like to stand on the medal podium? Yeah, it, it was nothing short of amazing or unbelievable, and, uh, and I didn't realize um, how, how big it was going to be until you actually got involved in the event itself, and because... At my age growing up, uh, it was still an amateur sport, and all the amateurs got to play in the Olympics. 
Uh, and so when we were growing up as hockey players, we dreamed of, you know, uh, winning a Stanley Cup and parading with the Stanley Cup around, you know, the NHL after scoring the overtime game and uh, over, or overtime goal in Game Seven. But my first experience uh, with the Olympics was in Nagano in '98. And once you're there and you realize, you, you know, you're representing your country, uh, it's such a huge world event. Uh, it, it's just a really amazing, obviously, to win a gold medal, but just to participate in the Olympics itself. Um, so it's different than winning a Stanley Cup because it's such a short period of time where you have to come together as a team. And when you gather the best players, uh, regardless of what country you're representing, all the players that are coming from, they're, they're great players, they're the best players on their teams. So your team really has to come together. Um, you know, again, all the egos got to be checked at the door. Uh, and you have to build your team like you would a normal team. You have to have special teams. You have to have uh, guys that are going to play in a defensive role, a checking role. And when when a team comes together and accepts everybody accepts those roles in such a short tournament, you're going to have a lot of success. And when it's all said and done, and you're standing on the blue line and you're listening to your national anthem with a gold medal around your your neck, it's it's a memory that'll last for a lifetime and a, and a memory you'll never forget. And the good thing about the the kids today. They can grow up with two dreams: one, winning a Stanley Cup, and win one, win, and the other one, winning a gold medal for their country. But it's an amazing experience, and when you put that jersey on, it's a privilege and it's an honor, and it's uh, like I said, it's one you'll never forget. You know, you really, uh, really uh, helped me, and I think our listeners um, understand what what an incredible experience that that was. Thank you for sharing that. You know, there's a there was an article floating around I read recently about um, the uh, after the NFL season. You know, some of the players whose team just lost were partying, and that you know, sports uh, at the professional level for a lot of athletes is just a job. Um, it seems like you never took it as just a job. No, you know, I, I you know, I again, I'll go back to you know, just the passion I had for the game. Um, uh, hockey has been my life since I was five years old. It's still my life. Uh, you know, hockey has given me everything I, I have. And, uh, you know, uh, I deal with it every day. I've dealt with hockey every day in my life for the last, you know, 45 years since I was, you know, three years old. And the first time I put on a pair of skates and, um, and I enjoy it. And uh, once I finished playing, I, I wanted to give back. Uh, to the game of hockey, I wanted to be able to help you know not only my own kids uh, to be a coach, but uh, you know teammates of my kids, and we put on you know work at different hockey schools and different clinics, and 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 give back. I just enjoy being around the game. I enjoy being around the players at any age, and uh, and I think as uh, ex NHLers, uh, you see more and more guys giving back to the game, uh, which I think is is a wonderful thing. You know, I started Positive Coaching Alliance about uh, 13 years ago now because I saw the, the potential for, for teaching life lessons um, from sports, not just things that you can apply to become a better hockey player or baseball player or whatever, but they'll actually help you the rest of your life. 
Um, were there lessons you learned from hockey that now help you in your role as VP of hockey operations for the Blues or as a parent? Absolutely. You know, um, I, I think the, the the biggest team, or I'm sorry, the biggest thing you learn from not only hockey, but, but any team sport, I think the most important thing for a player, coach, parent, is dealing with different uh people, different personalities. And, and even if you move on after hockey to any other walk of life, you're still going to have to deal with people. You're going to have to still deal, deal with different per- personalities. And what I, what I try to, you know, dig around at is, you know, what motivates, you know, different people, um, what makes them tick. Um, uh, and as a coach or, a, or, a, or, a or a parent or a colleague, you know, how do you get the best out of your players? How do you get the best out of your employees? Um, and, and I think that's what's intriguing. And I think that's what I've been able to learn over the course of my career. And now, you know, still involved in hockey is, um, is dealing, dealing with different people, but also, you know, as a, as a player or a coach, um, you know, is to have other people involved, um, uh, you know, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to be the captain of the St. Louis Blues for a while. And, you know, you want a supporting group. You know, you want to make everybody feel part of it. You know, and if there's, a, if there's an event or if there's an issue, you want to you wanna ask for people's opinion. You want to ask for people's advice. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, people come up with, with great ideas and, 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 and great things that make a lot of sense that maybe – you didn't think of or somebody else didn't think of. So I think those two things is, is really helped me, uh, you know, once I retired is one, you know, uh, what motivates people, uh, what makes people tick, but also being involved, not be, not be a loner. You, you need supporting cast. You need people around you. You know, I wonder why you, um, you chose, uh, operations rather than, than, uh, being a, a coach, you know, your, your friend Barry Trotz is a Predators coach. Um, why, why did you go into management rather than coaching? Well, you know, part of my job is, is actually uh, helping out um, our young prospects in the St. Louis Blues organization uh, for the last few years, along with our uh, player development coach, Tim Taylor. Uh, I'd like to work with our defensemen. And I'll be honest with you. If I didn't have four children, I probably would have stayed in coaching. I love coaching. I have passion for coaching, and that's why I help coach my kids along with other teams. Um, at coaching at a very high level, uh, you know, uh, American League or the NHL, it's a huge commitment, and uh, it, it's a lot of time. And I just didn't feel, with the age of my children, after playing 23 years and I was a a committed athlete for 12 months of the year when I was a player and my wife and my kids, you know, sacrifice a lot. And so did I time away from the kids and what have you. And and that's part of it. And I just felt that it wasn't right for my family to, to get into the coaching at that level. Therefore, you know, to be able to coach my kids and to be able to coach at the youth level, it gives me the flexibility to continue to do what I'd love to do and also help the Blues organization uh, with our young defensemen, with some young prospects. And that's why I was able to, uh, uh, you know, to stay in, uh, in hockey operations and also learn the business part of it. So 
the schedule part of it has been very flexible, and uh, I've been able to enjoy both very much. Do your kids play uh, other sports besides hockey? They do. Uh, my second boy uh, loves lacrosse. Um, he did be, uh, play baseball at an earlier age, and uh, just with time commitments, he had to give it up. But uh, they uh, they play golf, uh, lacrosse. Um, you know, we spend time on a lake. They like to do you know the the, the the skiing and the wakeboarding, all these new water sports they have out there. I can hardly pronounce half of them. Uh, my daughter, uh, she plays hockey. Uh, she plays soccer. Uh, she plays field hockey at school, and uh, I think it's so important that these kids, um, you know, continue to play different sports and become become athletes before they become, you know, a hockey player or a soccer player. And I think they're if they play multiple sports uh, as they get older, they're just going to become uh, obviously better athletes. But once they have to make that decision to become better in that specific sport. Yeah, that's great. You know, we um, we talk about responsible coaches being focused on two goals. One is winning on the scoreboard, and the other is using sports to teach life lessons. Um, what's your reaction to that idea of what a, a good coach is? Well, my uh, my advice, you know, or my thoughts on on, on, a, on a on a good youth coach is starts off the ice for me. You know, first and foremost, a coach has to be. Uh, a good role model for the kids. Um, he has to lead by example. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, for me, uh, the meeting with, with the kids and the parents uh, starts with the behavior. And, uh, you know, when, you, when, when our season starts and uh, when you walk through the door of a rink, a hotel, a restaurant, you know, behavior for me is the most important thing. And, you're representing your parents, you're representing the team, you're representing the organization you're playing for. And that's one of the off-ice things that I think is so important, but it starts with the coach. Um, because really the coach will take on, I'm sorry, the team will take on the personality of the coach. And, and, and that's, you know, that's your responsibility to, to uh, lead by example. Um, I also believe, you know, again, off-ice, um, you know, uh, I have my players. I have zero tolerance for any players criticizing their teammates. I think if you're going to have success or any kind of success on the ice, uh, the players have to get along uh, and they have to respect one another. And, and, and I tell them, you know, I, I don't expect, if I have 17 kids on the team, I don't expect 17 kids to like all 17 the same. You're asking too much, but I do ask them to respect each and every player in this dressing room. And every kid that walks through the room in the dressing room have to feel they're part of the equation. And, um, and, and I'm a believer if they get along off the ice, the on the ice stuff will look after itself. Once they get on the ice, I think it's, it's up to the coach to, to you know, Again, to lead by example, you got to respect the game. You got to respect officials. You got to respect the uh, opposing team. Um, you know, you want your team to play hard, compete, but play by the rules. And uh, and uh, also as a coach, I think it's your responsibility uh, to try and coach every single player and not just the select few. And I know I feel as a coach, if every player is not a better player in the spring than they were in the fall. I almost feel like a failure, and I know that 
you know, not every player is going to improve the same and some don't, but I try my best, but, um, the coaches, they have a huge influence on these kids. And, uh, uh, when you take on the job of being a youth hockey coach or baseball coach, whatever it is, um, you put yourself in that situation, and uh, there's a lot expected of you. You know, I, one of the um, metrics we use for a good coach is how many of your kids come back to play your sport again the next year. And you just added another one. You know, that every every kid on your team is better than they were at the beginning of the season. That's a, I think those two things every player gets better, every player comes back. That's a great coach regardless of what the what the record on the scoreboard was. Absolutely. And the other the other thing that I that I you know, and, and again, I've learned how to uh, at least I think I'm a better youth coach than I was when I was when I started, you know, eight years ago. And the one thing that you know that I've done probably the last five or six is every practice, regardless of how we played the game before or how we practiced during the day I always I always leave enough time to have one fun drill at the end of practice, and whether it's you know um, you know a two puck drill or whether it's a shootout or whether it's you know a scoring competition when you split the teams up, you know you, if you end with a with a with a fun drill and the kids are leaving the rink with a smile on their face, um, I think that's that's important as well. Fantastic. Um, what would you, if you had one piece of advice for other parents who are coaching kids, what, what, what might that advice be? Well, at times it can be a challenge, and, and, the, and, the, and, and, and the, the two obvious challenges are, one is when you're coaching your old kid, you can't show favoritism. And also, you, you, it can't be the complete opposite where you're always criticizing your own kid as well. And, there, and there's a fine line and a, and a fence there that you've got to be careful of. And again, we always continue to go, I, I continue to go back to my parents, and, and I'll, rem- I'll always remember, like, uh, again, I said earlier in the uh, conversation, my mother, she was the sixth grade teacher, and she taught all of her kids. And I remember we used to walk to school. And when I had her in grade six, every time we left the house to walk to school, you know, she would always say, hey, remember, Al, I got to treat you like all the other s- students. Uh, you know, you can't take it personally, but you're you're just one of the other students through the school hours because we had her for every subject. So she's always saying during the school hours, don't ask for any favors. And and I'm, I, I relay that same message to the kids, my, my own kids. Like, I got to treat you like every other player. And there's times I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to, have some constructive criticism. I'm going to praise you at times, um, but I have to treat you like every other player, and, and 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 usually it works out pretty well. The best thing, and I've been fortunate to have some very good assistant coaches with me, but if you can pass on the majority or a large percent of the coaching to your assistant coaches for your own kid, that's probably the best case scenario. Um, because you got to remember your kids, they're listening and they hear your voice 24-7. They listen to it at home. They listen to it at the car. And over a period of time, they're eventually going to tune you out. So when you have a coaching, and I've, I've been lucky enough to have the same, you know, a couple assistant coaches, you know, the last number of years. And when I need to correct one of my kids, they, I don't even have to say anything. And the assistant coach will look down and just say, I got it, you know, so 
there's another voice, there's another message. But I think as a head coach and you're and a parent, if you can designate a lot of that to your assistant coaches, it really helps your relationship between you and your kid. Wow, that's fantastic. Last question. Um, for your kids when they're playing sports so you're not coaching them, um, did you ever have a situation where you had an issue with the coach or you felt like your daughter or your son's coach wasn't doing a very good job? And if so, what did you do about that? You know, I, I, for the most part, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, you know, uh, sure, there's times like, uh, you know, maybe, you know, they sat there for a long period of time or uh, they didn't get on a certain situation, but nothing, nothing serious or anything that would, you know, make me boil over by any means. But the best rule, and I don't know if they have it in every sport, but I know the parent and the coach's code of conduct, the one in there is a 24-hour rule. And I really believe that it should be enforced because hockey is an emotional sport. It's a competitive sport. It's a physical sport. And sometimes, it, you know, tempers can flare and it can get emotional between the coaches and parents. But I think if both sides, you know, if there is an incident you're not happy with as a parent, and I'm speaking on behalf of, a, you know, I'm a parent, is to really take the 24-hour rule, you know, take a deep breath, think through the situation, think through, you know, the what the coach is going through, put his shoes on for a little while. And really, I think when both sides settle down and you realize it's not life or death, you know, it is a sport, it is a game, the coach probably is trying to do the best job he can. You know, these coaches are volunteers. They give up their time and effort away from their families to do the right thing. And I think when you enforce the 24-hour rule, I think, you know, cooler heads will prevail and it's not as bad as you might think it is. And that's probably the best advice I can give any parent. Al, this has been a real pleasure. I think the all of the athletes, coaches, parents who listen to this are going to get a lot from it. And I really appreciate your taking the time to share with me and the Responsible Sports listeners uh, all of you, the wisdom you've accumulated all these years. So thank you very much. My pleasure, and uh, thanks for having me on, Jim. To learn more about Responsible Sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.